morning, everyone. You can have a seat. Good to see you today. We're glad you could join us. We're looking in this message series called Unstuck. We're looking at five of the common ways that we tend to get stuck in life. As we've said all along, the reason we get stuck is usually not because of the size of the challenge that we face on the outside. It's usually the size of the challenge that we face on the inside. Now, outside challenges, of course, can be pretty significant. But it's always what we think in our heads and what we feel in our hearts that will determine whether or not we can move forward in the face of the challenges we're facing or whether we're going to get stuck. We've been looking at five emotionally powerful thoughts that get us stuck and then tend to keep us stuck as we face the challenges of life. These are the five we've been looking at. It's too hard. It's not fair. It's not what I want. I'm too tired. I'm the only one. Today we're going to look at the fourth one. I'm too tired. Is anybody here tired? I mean, maybe you woke up this morning rested and refreshed. Maybe you thought about getting a cup of coffee, and then you said to yourself, no, you know, I feel so alive already that it really would be dangerous to add caffeine to the mix today. Maybe you stood in front of the mirror, and your first thought was, wow. I am so full of energy that I'm scaring myself right now. Now, I'm guessing that's probably not how it was for most of us this morning. My guess is that many of us are tired. We're tired because we have jobs and we have families and we have email. My guess is that you were tired last week and that you'll probably be tired this next week and the week after that. Now, another question. Is anybody here carrying a burden? I mean, something that's weighing on your heart? I mean, it could be. You may be one of the fortunate ones that you have more money than you'll ever need. Maybe you look at your children and your grandchildren, and you know without a doubt that they're going to grow up to be the man or the woman that society will thank you for. Maybe your marriage is just all delight and no size, and maybe just nothing weighs on your heart. But again, my guess is that's not true for most of us. Most of us in this room are carrying something that's heavy, and it really is beyond our ability to carry. So if you're tired and you're carrying some burdens, you qualify for an amazing offer. Here it is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened. And we just qualified most of us in that category. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, Jesus identifies two factors that contribute to our fatigue, to our being too tired. The first is the size of our internal capacity. That's why we get weary, why we get tired. The second is the size of our external burden. Now, ideally, the size of our capacity on the inside would match the weight of our burdens on the outside. But that's almost never the case because we live in a broken world. And in a broken world, well, that diminishes our internal capacity, and at the same time, it increases the size of our external burdens. Now, there are some things that we can do to increase the capacity that we have on the inside that God has given us. We We can do some things that help with diet and exercise and sleep and training in the different areas of responsibilities that we have. That can really help increase our capacity. 
And there's some things we can do to decrease our burdens, particularly by not taking on more burdens than what God has given us to handle. But still, in a broken world, even if we do both of those, we will still be weary and burdened. We will be too tired over and over again. This is why Jesus made this offer. So we begin this morning with the offer. The offer, simply put, is help from Christ. That's really what he's offering. Let me, let me help. Help from Christ. We are too tired, in part, because we were never designed to handle life on our own. We were never designed to go it alone in life. We need God's help. And that's what Jesus is offering. Let me help. Now, the offer sounds great, but what does it mean? Well, Jesus is pointing to a familiar image back then. It was two oxen yoked together, pulling either a cart or maybe a plow. Now, this, of course, back then was the best way to get work done. Everyone knew that it was easier to carry a load with a team of oxen or to plow a field with a team of oxen. And this is Jesus' way of saying, let, let, me, let me help you with that load. Take on my yoke, he says, and carry my burden. Well, that doesn't sound like help. It sounds like more work, not less. We've already got too much to do. Now we have to add his yoke and his burden to whatever else we're trying to manage? That, that sounds like we're going backwards. That sounds like more burdens, not less burdens. So what is Jesus talking about here? What is this offer? Recently, I was working on some projects around the house, and I stopped what I was doing, and I added another thing to my to-do list. I added more work to what I was already doing. And the project that I added was to run to Home Depot and purchase this tool. Here's a picture of it up on the screen. It's a wire crimper. And that, you know, that added something else to my day already. It was another you know, 30 minutes or so to run to Home Depot and get this tool. But I did it because this tool does what? It adds capacity, like all tools do. So in the long run, I came out way ahead in the projects, specifically wiring-type projects that I've done around the house since I got that tool. And that's really the kind of thing Jesus is offering. Jesus is offering two tools that allow us to partner with him and therefore add to our capacity. It is true, it adds work. But in the long run, we're way ahead because we've gained significant capacity with these two tools. The first tool Jesus offers is a yoke a yoke for your weakness. Now, again, that's a strange-sounding offer for rest. Here, stick your neck in this harness and start pulling. That didn't sound like rest at all. It sounds like hard work. But you have to understand the nature of this offer. This is, an, this is a come-to-me offer from Jesus, not an I'll-come-to-you offer. And that's very important to understand. In other words, it's a following offer. Jesus is saying, come follow me. Now, we would, honestly, we'd prefer an arrangement where we still run our own lives, do whatever we want to do, and then when we need a little help, well, we call Jesus and he comes running. He comes to us. But that's not the offer. You know, that, that's more like AAA. You know, we, AAA doesn't determine any decisions we make in life other than paying the dues. And we don't even think of AAA until we get stuck. The car doesn't start, and we get locked out, or we get stuck in a ditch. Well, then we call AAA. 
And that's what we would prefer the offer to be from Jesus. Let us kind of do our own thing, and then we'll, we'll keep you on, on notice. And as soon as we need help, we'll cry for help. And if you could just come run, help us get unstuck, get us back on the road, and then we'll, we'll continue on on our own way. But that's not the offer. The offer is to take on his yoke. He does not take on our yoke. We take on his yoke. Now, both his yoke and our yoke are work. But if we add his yoke to the things that we're already doing and rearrange our life according to what he says, well, his yoke turns out to be easier in the long run because it comes with help from God, the power of God. Now, this decision to take on his yoke is not just a once-only decision. There is a moment where we decide, okay, I will take up this offer and I will follow him. But it takes much more than just one decision. And because, the reason is because we are independent-minded, even if we make this decision which means that we can't just only decide to team up with God. We have to, as Jesus said, we have to learn. We have to learn how to do life God's way. And that's why we need the yoke. A yoke restricts the movement of the creature that puts their neck in the harness. The creature may want to do this, but the yoke keeps their neck and therefore their body heading in the the direction of the team. It's a restricting thing, and that's the way of Jesus. Jesus says that there's some restrictions to what I am telling you to do. Now, if you just want to keep doing whatever you want to do, that's fine, but then you're not going to get help from me. You need the yoke. Now, in Jesus' day, the word yoke was used not only for teaming oxen together, but also for the teachings of the rabbis of the time. What would happen is prominent rabbis would develop a list of activities of what to do. And whenever someone followed a rabbi's ways, they were taking on, it was said, the yoke of that rabbi. So when Jesus said yoke, everybody knew he was talking about the teachings of all the other rabbis. And these yokes by all these rabbis, they were indeed heavy. They were pretty much impossible to do. It was a list of just all kinds of things that was really hard to do. So most ordinary people of the day had decided that you know, teaming with God was pretty much impossible. It was, if, if it was possible, it was best left to the professionals, not ordinary people like us who have jobs and responsibilities. We, we can't do all that. But Jesus said, now, my yoke, what I'm, saying, what I'm offering here, it's not like the yoke of the other rabbis. It's not like that. You don't have to quit your job to do this. I'm not just adding more to your life. I'm adding capacity to you by teaching you how to do life God's way, how to do your job my way, how to handle your family my way. And that adds capacity to you. Now, that's really the purpose for us as a church when we gather in growth groups and when we gather on Sunday mornings here and when we do other trainings. The whole purpose is to teach how do we do life within the yoke of Jesus? What what is his way? Not so we can just add rules to our life because we don't need more rules. But as we do life his way, we really gain capacity. We get help in some amazing ways because we are tapping in to the supernatural resources of God. So Jesus is offering the first tool as a yoke for your weakness. The second tool is a cart for your burdens. That's the second tool, a cart for your burdens. Now, a yoke isn't just to train oxen how to walk together. Its purpose is to pull something, something heavy. 
So in a similar way, Jesus designed a cart to attach to the yoke. The cart that attaches to the ways of Jesus is called the church. Listen to what is said to the first century church in the town of Galatia. In the book of Galatians, a letter written to that church, chapter 6, verse 2, we read this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you, fulf- you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the law of Christ is a description of his way, his yoke, his way of doing life. His way of carrying our burdens is fulfilled in the context of the church. It's as we're a part of a church that we get a lot of help for the burdens of life. Four years ago, we moved my wife's parents here to help them as they got older. And it, as many of you have gone through this yourself or going through this now, uh, it proved to be the same for us. It was a burden. I mean, we were happy to do it most of the time, but it was a burden. And in many cases, it became a burden that was, well, it was too big for us to carry. And again and again and again, it was the people in this church that came through to help us. Now, her parents decided to move back to Arkansas a couple months ago. And so a bunch of our friends here at the church came to help us quickly pack up their apartment. We hired a mover to haul all the stuff there. And uh, the mover was just amazed at all these people helping. In fact, he was in his 50s, which is old for a mover. And he said, you know, in all my years of moving, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, I'll show up to a place like this, and there'll be one person, two people, maybe three. But there was like 30 people. I've never seen anything like this. So I decided I would try to help him understand what was going on. I said, well, you know, the real reason is because we're, we're a part of a church. Well, now he was really confused. I could see the look on his face was like, do I need to be concerned? Is the church getting into the moving business now? <laughs> what, what do you mean, the church? I said, oh, we just move a part of the church, and we've got a lot of friends, and they just wanted to help. Now, this has occurred to us and for us, not just because I'm the pastor. I've seen this again and again and again in the lives of many people. They've been going along, and then something happens, and life just crushes them. And all kinds of people that they have relationships with the church rally to help. It's a cart for our burdens. Now, let me just clarify a few things to make sure you understand, you understand what this cart is for and what it's not for. The church is not a cart to dump your backpack in. You know, just earlier in Galatians, it talks about everyone should carry their own load. That word means kind of, you know, your own daily responsibilities. So if you're sitting on the couch refusing to take responsibility for your life, we're not going to help. You've got to carry your own load. But the church is tremendously helpful. Whenever, as does happen, life is like an avalanche that just overwhelms you. We come help you get unburied. And the church is also not a cart that you rent whenever you need it and ignore the rest of the time. It's not U-Haul where you just go and rent it for the day because I need help today and then the rest of the time you go on. That's, That's not the way it works. Sometimes people think the church is like that. They haven't made any investments. They don't really know anybody. And then they want all kinds of help. Well, we can do some things, but not near as much help as if you have invested in the church. 
the way that really works, the way Jesus has designed it, is it's a cart that we all work on together to build over time. And we don't build this cart so that when we need help, it's going to be useful. We build this cart because we want to be a part of this. But what happens on the back end is whenever we get buried with the burdens of life, it turns out that the cart that we've been working on and investing over the years now is a tremendous help to us. So it's a cart that's built over time and then can be a real help when you and I need it most. Now, Jesus not only made this offer to the tired, the offer of help, he also set an example while he walked this earth of what to do when you're just too tired. And I want to talk about those next. So first, we got to team up with Jesus and get his help. Without that, we're just going to be too tired to handle the responsibilities of life and the burdens of life. And then secondly, Jesus gave us some examples. And these are the next two. The next one is we need to prepare like Christ did for the burdens of life. We need to prepare like Christ. Now, we are too tired also, in part, because we try often to do too much in one day and too little every day. This is very, very important to understand. We tend to overestimate how much we can handle in one day and underestimate how much we can accomplish as we do a little bit every day. So we don't spread out the work of life daily. We wait until it becomes crushing, and it's just too much. We get too tired. On the eve of his betrayal, Jesus took an extended amount of time to prepare for the burden that he was about to face. He asked his disciples to join him in this time of preparation by watching out for him in the Garden of Gethsemane and praying for God's strength for him and really for all of them to endure what was about to come. But they were clearly too tired. Here's what we read in Matthew 26, 40 through 41. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. They had just declared their undying loyalty to Jesus. I know your spirit's willing. The problem is you're too tired. The body is weak. Now, this didn't just happen once. This happened three times in a row. Jesus said, okay, now stay awake, please. He'd go away and pray, come back, fast asleep. Hey, 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 wake up. Oh, okay, three different times. Why could they not stay awake? Well, if you look at the, the Gospels, you have to understand the week that they had been living through had been a crazy week. The church now refers to this week as Holy Week. But if you were living it, it would be tired week, crunch week, overwhelming week. In fact, one-third of the record of Christ's life in the Gospels is from this week. That's how packed this week was. And it was late at night, probably 9, 10 o'clock at night. In other words, it was bedtime. It had been a full week, and it was 9 or 10 o'clock at night, and that's the time when eyelids start getting heavy, and you're sitting out there in a garden and listening to the sounds of the night, and before you know it, you're asleep. So why was Jesus able to stay awake then? Well, you might think, well, it's because he was God in flesh. Yeah, that's true, but he was also man. That didn't mean, so just because he was God in flesh didn't mean he didn't need to sleep. No, his sleep needs were the same. He had the same kind of body. Jesus was just as tired, if probably not more as them, But unlike them, he had spent time preparing for this day. 
He knew what was coming. He had tried to tell them, they just weren't listening. And right after the disciples can't stay awake for one hour, they end up staying awake for at least 24 more hours and end up staying awake for a total of two solid days, 48 hours. Why were they suddenly able to stay awake for a full two days after they couldn't stay awake for one hour? Well, it's because what happened next is Jesus is arrested and his trial goes on all night. And then he's crucified. But I thought they were too tired to stay awake. Well, they were too tired to watch and pray. But how could you sleep when the one that you followed for three years is on trial for his life? You can't sleep during that. And how could you sleep while he is carrying his cross out to the side of his crucifixion? You can't sleep then. And how could you possibly even take a nap during the six hours that he hung on that cross and suffered as his life ebbed away? You can't sleep during any of that. You see, too tired doesn't mean that you can't stay awake another minute. It means that you don't see the reason to. We can always stay awake if there's a reason to. I mean, we're never too tired when a crisis hits, right? We can stay awake for days if we need to, if the circumstance merits it. But we tend to be too tired to prepare for a crisis because we can't see it coming. Once it's here, all right, then the adrenaline kicks in and we're wide awake. But it's important to understand, it's, it's in the, the small, too tired moments that we are provided with the opportunity to get ready for those big crisis moments. So Jesus told them and us that there are two ways to regularly prepare for the crushing burdens of life that are coming for all of us. He said you need to watch and you need to pray. Watch. What does it mean to watch? The idea is something's coming. You can't see it, but you can get ready for it, even if you don't know what it is. For example, you may feel too tired to talk to your spouse today, and that's okay. But if you're also too tired tomorrow and too tired the day after that, and it turns out you're pretty much always too tired to have meaningful conversations with your spouse, well, then what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself blindsided by a marriage crisis that's going to end up keeping you up for days and rob you of sleep for years. So you can either pay the price now a little bit a day, or you can allow the crisis to upend you. If you're a parent of little ones, you are tired all the time. You're just tired. But it's the investments that you make now in their life when you're just too tired. Those investments will, over time, have a cumulative effect of making all the difference when they get older and when they don't like you near as much as they do now. And they're not asking to have a conversation with you. And they're not near as cute as they are now. <laughs> so, as parents, we need to make the investments even though we're too tired. I mean, it's okay to sleep. But if you're always too tired to really invest in your kids, then eventually 
you're not going to be able to sleep because of your kids. You know, one of the best ways that we can watch is to read and become familiar with the Bible. Now, the Bible isn't going to tell us everything that's going to happen in the future. It's just going to get us ready for whatever does happen. It gets us ready for the burdens of life. But that takes time. And you know when the best times usually are to read the Bible? Early in the morning or late at night. The too tired hours. That's the best time to read the Bible. But if we don't know what the Bible says, we will keep being overwhelmed by what happens to us in life. Now, we don't know what's coming. But if we invest in the important things, even though we're too tired, then we're better prepared for whatever crisis and burden and disaster is coming. So Jesus said, you've got to watch. Just because everything feels fine now doesn't mean you shouldn't prepare for what's coming. Watch. And then he says to pray. He told his disciples, you need to pray too. Now, I almost always feel too tired to pray. I mean, to spend time in prayer. You know, we're never too tired to shoot up a help, and that's fine. But to really invest in prayer, that, that's hard. I mean, I usually close my eyes when I pray. That doesn't help when I'm too tired. There are a lot of mornings when my alarm goes off, and I would, I would really prefer to sleep a little longer rather than get up and read my Bible and spend some time in prayer. But if I'm too tired to pray today, and then I'm too tired to pray tomorrow, and then I'm too tired to pray most days, I once again am facing the burdens of life in my own limited capacity, and that is always a recipe for disaster. The next crisis in life is coming. I know you don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this, but it's coming. I don't know when. I don't know what. We just know with certainty that it's coming. And what watching and praying does together is it spreads out the burden of life, the weight of life, rather than letting it just all fall in one crushing moment. You see, if the disciples had been watching, then the weight of the surprise when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus would have been far less of a burden than it turned out to be. I mean, this happens across life. I mean, if you are watchful, if you're in leadership, if you're a parent, and you, you keep your eye out for problems, and you address those problems in the early stages, you can address those problems when they weigh much less, when they're smaller. But if you're not watchful, if you don't keep a sharp eye out, then that problem is going to grow into a crushing burden. You can, you can spread the weight out over time if you're watchful and prayerful, or you can just wait for it to crush you. If you keep a sharp eye, sharp, eye, sharp eye out for temptation, you can address temptation when the pull is weaker. But if you just ignore it, eventually it's going to be huge. So if you don't deal with the problems and the temptations now, they're just going to grow. And one day, they'll be like a 500-pound weight that you can't lift and you can't resist. It'll feel to you like life just fell on you, but it didn't. You just weren't watching and weren't praying. This is why Jesus said the spirit's willing, but the body is weak. The spirit is what we intend to do. The body is where we really do it or don't do it. 
The disciples said they would be there for Jesus, but then they ran. And like the disciples, what we do is we overestimate our capacity in the moment and underestimate our capacity over time. So we try to do too much in one day and too little watching and praying every day. So we need to prepare like Christ did. And then lastly, we need to persevere like Christ. Persevere like Christ. One of the reasons we also get too tired is because we expect things to be better by now. And they aren't. And so we get discouraged. And when you're discouraged, you're tired. Hebrews 12, 2 through 3, we see the example of Jesus on this. It says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you, do not, you will not grow weary and lose heart. Those two go together. Grow weary and lose heart. You see, fatigue is not just a physical phenomenon. It is. We have physical limitations. But weariness, fatigue, is not just physical. It's also a matter of, of heart. It's a matter of hope. I mean, if you lose heart, you lose energy. If you set your hope on something specific and it doesn't happen in the time frame and the way you thought, then you get discouraged. You lose heart. You just don't have the energy to keep on going. And it's in those times that we just need to persevere, which means we need to keep moving forward. Jesus led by example in this matter. What does it say about him? The joy was set before him. What that means is it was at a point in the future, not in the garden that night. I mean, he was praying for any way that this wouldn't have to be done in that garden. But no matter how long he prayed, no matter how desperately he prayed, and he prayed desperately, he sweat bloods of, or drops of blood, there was no joy that came to him in the garden that night. The joy was on the other side of the cross. He had a lot of ugh to go through in order to arrive at the moment of joy. It was set before him. It didn't arrive and be delivered to him. If he didn't go through the cross, he wouldn't get to the joy. Now, we tend to think that God should come to our rescue while we're just kind of sitting there praying, asking for help. Sometimes he does that, but not normally. The way it normally works is that God has already picked a time of his choosing to bring some joy into our lives. But if we grow weary and lose heart, we will stop moving forward, and we we won't arrive to that point. We'll give up before that point. So don't get tired and sit down just waiting for God to come through. You need to keep moving forward like Jesus did to get to the joy. This is explained in more detail in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 10, verses 36 through 39. Here's what it says. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. For in just a very little while, quote, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, If he stops moving, I will not be pleased with him, end quote. 
But we are not those, we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are those, but of those who believe and are saved. Here's how this works. Imagine this stage is kind of like a timeline. You're, you're here. This is the present. And you're struggling with something that's overwhelming. You're tired. You're too tired. And you pray to God for help. And God sends help and joy over here. But you're here. I'm here. How do we get to here? Well, we have to get here day by day by day. This may be three weeks from now. This may be a year from now. It may be even longer. We don't know. We just know it's, it's there. It's not here. And if we shrink back, it says, destruction is going to overtake us. So not only are we here, and the joy is here, destruction is over here, and it's moving our way. We tend to think that destruction is kind of like a, a stationary pit that just opens up and you fall into it. But destruction really is a stalking force behind us. If you stop, it'll catch up to you. This happens across life. If you stop moving forward in your marriage, destruction will eventually catch up and destroy your marriage. If you stop moving forward in parenting, destruction will eventually unravel your family. You stop advancing and getting better and growing in your job, eventually destruction will catch up to your career. If you get mad and quit on God, well, you have just invited the destroyer to come. But if you and I keep going forward step by tired step, we will eventually make it to the place where God will bring relief and bring joy. Now, we wish the help would be just make this all better today, but often the help is just the next step. If you wait until the energy comes, until you start moving, it's never going to come. You just have to start moving. And this will happen again and again and again. Now, you don't have to quit for destruction to catch up to you. All you have to do, as it says in this verse, you just have to shrink back. You just have to slow down. You just have to say, you know what, I'm just going to coast for a month that turns into a year. And destruction will catch you. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. If you've never read it, I highly recommend it. It's a really interesting take, small chapters, but it's about a, how a devil might be instructed in the art of temptation. It's a fascinating look into how we are tempted. One of my favorite passages is this. Let me put it up on the screen. I'll read it to you. To produce the best results from the person's fatigue. Again, this is instructions to a, a devil tempter. So the best, to produce the best results from the person's fatigue, you must feed him with false hopes. Whatever he says, let his inner resolution be not to bear whatever comes to him, but to bear it, quote, for a reasonable period, end quote. 
and let the reasonable period be shorter than the trial is likely to last. It need not be much shorter. The fun, this is where the word sadistic comes from, the Satan fun, the fun is to make the man yield when he had he but known it, relief was almost in sight. Boy, I found this to be true. You know, I'm here. Who knows where God has decided to bring joy and relief. But I set my heart on about right here. For some reason, I think, you know what? I think this should be better in about three months or a year. It should be better by then. And I set my heart on this. And then when I arrive at that day and it's not better, I lose heart. Now, the enemy knows if you just kept going three more days, but you gave up just this short of the line. We don't know where the line is. We don't know where the joy that is set before us is going to be. So we just, ha- we just have to keep moving forward. The only fatal thing is to quit, to sit down. So are you too tired? Well, I am a lot, so I imagine you are. Are you burdened? Yeah, I've got burdens. I imagine most of us do. Are you weary in heart? Oh, yeah. Well, the first thing that we all need is we need help from Christ. This is the first matter. If you try to do the other without help from Christ, it's not going to help. Take on his yoke and pick one of his carts. Now, pick a church. Start helping. Start building that cart. Don't go it alone. And then prepare like Christ did. Watch and pray regularly to get ready for whatever's coming. And then persevere like Christ. Just keep going. I know it's hard. Sometime, sometimes the, the biggest accomplishment of the day is just to keep going. The help of God is coming. It might be just around the corner, so keep going. As I wrap up, I want to give you a helpful verse to memorize. We've been doing this for each of these thoughts. In fact, the parent cue that uh, Elliot mentioned earlier has some great tips on memorizing verses that was mentioned briefly a couple uh, weeks ago, but this one, there's a lot of great help for the adults on how to, to memorize verses. And so this is the verse that I think would be helpful for you to memorize for this theme, Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's pray. Father, you know us. You know we're tired. You know that we're burdened, and that's why, Jesus, you made this offer. It was true 2,000 years ago, and it's true today. We, We need your help. So I pray for those here who have yet to take on your yoke, that you would give them insight into the importance and the need to do that. Help us as we work on this cart, that it would be a a place of real help for people. And then, Father, help us to, to daily prepare for the future as we watch and pray. And I pray for For many today that are just overwhelmed, that you would help them just to take the steps that need to be taken today and then give them strength for Monday and then Tuesday. God, we cry out for help, but we pray for the help to endure. We ask this now in the name of the one who set the pace for us and who endured for the joy that was set before him. 
We thank you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.